Wonderful. Thank you, Kay. Uh, thank you. We have been praying for you absolutely every Sunday. Your name is on our lips every Wednesday as we pray and throughout the week. So thank you so much for sharing. Please do. It's not about um, if you have time. Let, let's make time uh, to be there to hear um, report, um, a report, a lot much fuller report on what the Lord God has been doing in places in, in Asia. Hey, can you look at someone next to you and say, let's humbly obey. Can you do that? Let's humbly obey. Let's greet each other in the name of the Lord in that way. All righty. Well, thank you for being the church, either online, in person here. It's uh, good to be together. Um, You know, one of the things, if if you're new to church or if you've kind of been reading the the news these days, one of the the stains on the reputation, the witness of the church is the fact that sometimes people in church fight a lot. And so... An outside world looks at the church and says, if the faith that they espouse talks about like love and about humility, then why do they fight so much? Why are there so many different churches and so many different denominations and so many different factions and so many different groups? Why do, why do people within the church fight so much and why do churches split? Why do Christian marriages fall apart and why do Christian families have such a hard time loving one another? Why is it that many... People who are out on the mission field, when they leave the mission field and come back home, say the reason we left was because we got into a fight with other missionaries. If people of God are redeemed, then why is it that so often we don't live like we're redeemed? That's what Gandhi once asked when he stayed with some Christians. Why can't we get along if we really believe in a God who came to bring peace and who brought peace into the hearts of people? Did you know that it's really important for us to figure this out? Because if you're living in constant conflict with people, it doesn't just affect your relationships, but affects you. I think you know this, right? There was a study done by Griffith University, and they studied the idea of how conflict affects our emotional, mental lives. And the study basically said, to nobody's surprise, but perhaps it's surprising to you, the more conflict you have in your life that has not been resolved, then the higher the instance of just the countless other emotional and, and, and mental issues. The more conflict you've got, the higher your rates of suicide are going to be. The more conflict you have, the more anxiety you're going to have. The more conflict you have, the more loneliness you're going to have. The more conflict you have, the more addictions and anger, the higher your levels of depression are going to be. If we follow Jesus, then why is there so much conflict in our lives? Well, throughout the Bible, it it tells us why, and it gives us thoughts. We've been looking at the letter that James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote to people like us, people who are Christians and people who are trying to figure out if they want to be Christians. He's writing to people of God in the churches uh, throughout the uh, ancient Near East, and he was writing to them and helping them to see that if Christianity is real, if what you believe is real, then it ought to make a difference in your life in so many different ways, in every way. And one of the ways that it ought to make a difference is in how you deal with and how you relate to people when you're in conflict with them. And so we're going to look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And he's going to give a really helpful understanding of the anatomy of conflict, like why we have it and what we can do in order to find resolution for the conflict that we have. Again, we're not going to go deep into practicals, and there's going to be a lot that needs to be fleshed out. You can do that in your house churches or family groups or as you sit around the dinner table. But today, I want to talk about big picture things as it relates to what James says. Why do we have so much conflict in our marriage, in our family, 
with our coworkers, with the different areas and relationships in life. This is God's word for the people of God. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. <laughs> this is God's word. Uh, James, is, he kind of gets to the point. He doesn't mess around. He's many things, but one thing he's not is he is not subtle. Okay, he just goes for the jugular, and he says, let me tell you what you need to hear. You may not like it, but this is what you need to hear. And what he does is he gives actually a couple of surprising things here. He gives us a surprising reason for why we have conflict in our lives, and then he gives a surprising remedy. And we usually think we know what it is, why we have conflict, and we usually know how to deal with that. We think, but it doesn't always work out that way. And so we look into the Word of God. Surprising reason. Here's the first thought. Two thoughts here. Conflict with others means you want something more than God. The reason you have conflict in your life is in your heart of hearts, there's something that you want more than God, something that you worship more than God. There's something you desire more than God. He asks this question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from dot, dot, dot? What do you think he would say? A lot of us would say, well, everything was going well until he came into my life. I was having a great day until she rolled up in here. Or, man, they always know how to push the wrong buttons in me. We're really good at blaming other people for the reason for our conflict. My goodness, if you lived with my husband, you lived with my wife, man, if you heard, man, my parents look so great to you, but they nag me all the time, all the time. If you live with them, you would know. We have a good way of blaming other people. That's easy for us to do, and that was the first sin, right? Or the first, that would happen as you break down the first sin. They start blaming other people. It was a serpent, it was a woman, it was this and that and the other. But what does is, what is James say? What does the Word of God say? What causes fights and quarrels among you? He makes it very clear. I want, you to, I want you to listen to this. Because one of the main principles of biblical interpretation is if something is repeated, then the author is trying to say, this matters. Okay, this is important. Like Martin Luther King Jr. says, I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream. What matters? That he has a dream. What matters here? Listen to what he says. What causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from here? Your desires that battle within you. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet. You cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may get, spend what you get on your place. You get the point here. What is he saying? Why do we have conflict in our lives? The problem is you. And if I'm reading this, the problem is me. Why do I have problems? Why do I have relational conflict? 
with Olive or with my friends or with my parents or with my whomever it is. It's not because of them. It's because of me. Because there's something that I want that I'm not getting. Think about the last few conflicts you've been involved in. Kind of break it down. Let's, let's autopsy it a little bit. Let's get underneath the hood a little bit. What? Some of you are looking at each other like, yeah, we just had one right now, just a few minutes ago on the way here. What happened there? Somebody's all about, man, I just want to chill. I want to get there right about 10:29, so I'm still early. That means I'm on time, ready to worship God. And others are like, I can't be late. I can't be late. People look at me like I'm not holy if I come late. Your reputation matters. Your comfort and pleasure matter. You want these things, and that's why you fight. Your family says, your parents say, your, your first-generation Asian parents say, let's go to eat somewhere for your birthday. Where do you want to go? And you want your parent to know. You should know by now. If you love me, you should know what I want. And so you say, where do you think I want to go? And your mom and dad say, I know. We go, Chipotle. And you're like, yes, I love Chick-fil-A. And so you think you're going to Chick-fil-A, and they end up at Chipotle. And you're like, what? You know I love Chick-fil-A. That's why I say Chipotle. <laughs> and they get upset at you. And you say, I don't want to eat here. And so you say, let's do rock, paper, scissors. And, and they win. And so you stay at Chipotle. You're like, dude, Chick-fil-A is right here. Right here. They're like, no, we're going to eat here. We're already here. We already ordered our food. We're going to eat here. And you get upset. Why? Because you wanted something and you ain't get it. A few, uh, the other day, I, I got into an argument with my son Elijah over who gets to watch what on TV. I'm watching baseball. He wants to play the switch on TV. I'm like, yo, dude, I was here first. I said that to him. He didn't say that to me. I wanted baseball. I didn't want to watch Ultimate Alliance, Marvel, Super, whatever it is. I don't want that stuff. Come on. I remember a time when I was a kid. I was in like middle school, and I heard my, my parents get upset at the dinner table because uh, my mom made my dad soup. It had fish in it. Jiggy, right? Let's get jiggy with it. Will Smith likes that stuff. Let's get, he, get, he has this, this, this soup, and it had fish in it, but he had enough fish in it. And so he got upset. He said, where's the other fish? I was like, dude, you're fighting over fish. We talking about fish. Get another fish and put it in there. It's easy. What about you? What are the things that you have conflict about? What do you fight about? What's going on beneath the surface? It's the reason you do that, because you have desires that battle within you. If you're an SNF in our youth ministry, you heard Brother Tim talk about this, right? Sin, the anatomy of sin begins with desires. He says, you have these desires in you. But you know what? Those desires go a lot deeper than we might think. In other words, it's not just that I wanted Chick-fil-A instead of Chipotle. I mean, it's not my story, but <laughs> for some of you. It's not that he wanted or she wanted Chick-fil-A instead of Chipotle. There's something deeper beneath the surface. They say, Mom, Dad, you always do that. Always do what? The first time we came to Chipotle instead of Chick-fil-A, you always do what? You don't understand me. You don't know me. I wish that you knew me. What is it at the baseline? What is it they want? They want to be known. They want to be loved. They want to be understood. They want to know that their voice matters. It wasn't about the fish in the soup at all. It was about feeling disrespected and being uncared for. It wasn't about, hey, I, I really hate watching you play Ultimate Alliance. It wasn't about that. It was about comfort, that I didn't want to move and watch baseball somewhere else. What about for you? There are desires that war within you, too, that cause fights. What are the things that, con and the things that you constantly fight about that constantly come up? These reveal the deeper idols of your heart. 
Because you see, it's not just a desire. Fine, I'm all right with Chipotle instead of Chick-fil-A on Sunday. That's fine. But why does this keep on coming up? Because when desires become demands, that's when conflict begins to take shape. Uh, desires, I want this. I want it. I really, really want it. Demand says, you better give this to me. You need to give this to me. And when desire becomes demand, there's relational carnage for the people who are not giving us what we want. What's the problem? Why do we have conflict in our lives? Because there's things that we want. Not only do we want them, sometimes when we want it so much, we even want it more than God. This is what he says. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. In other words, you're looking for your spouse to give you what only God can give you. You're looking for your spouse to give you that sense of comfort and protection and security that they can never give to you. You need to find that in God. You're looking for things in human relationships that only God can give to you. No relationship on earth is going to be perfect and meet all of your needs. Sometimes when people say, I got 153 things that I'm looking for in a spouse and I haven't met the right one yet. I'm like, dude, of course you haven't met the right one yet. You ain't looking for a spouse. You're looking for Jesus. The reason you don't have is because you ain't asking God. Because we're looking to people to give us what only God can give to us. And then when we wise up to that, we say, God, I want these things. I need these things. I need to find them from you. And then this is what he says. You don't have, okay, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, he's saying, you ask me for those things, but you don't ask me for those things because you want me. You ask me because you want those things more than you want me. And when those relationships, that relationship with God is off kilter, then every other relationship is going to be affected. I thought about doing this as an illustration. I practiced this with my kids yesterday, but they said, no, nah, it's kind of distracting. I was going to button my shirt button wrong and put like the second button in the, in the, or the third button in the first hole so that the collar be like all up here. And, and at the end, I would stand up and say, look, my shirt is all jacked up. And the point was going to be when you get the first thing wrong, everything else is affected by it. I didn't do it because they're like, they'd just be looking at your collar and no one would pay attention. So I didn't do it. But if you don't get the first relationship right, then every other relationship is going to be affected by it. Some of you know that when you, before you're, you're a believer, you're constantly fighting with your spouse. And now after you're a believer, you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've walked into a heavenly place. This is crazy, the difference. Some of you know this, right? The reason we don't have is because a lot of times we're looking to God to give us things that we want more than we want God. So we say, this is what it sounds like. God, if you give me... Gosh, if you give me this job, I'll go with you wherever you want me to go. God, if you, if, you get me, if you give me a spouse, then I'll follow you all the days of my life. God, if you allow me to get into this college, I promise you I'll be faithful to you forever. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't give you those things? Does that mean we're not going to be faithful forever? Does it mean we're not going to love him forever? Does it mean we're not going to trust him forever? Does it mean that God doesn't love us? He's saying the problem is a lot of times we want these things, but we want them more than we want God. And when the wrong king is on the throne of our hearts, then it's going to affect everything else because we'll be looking to other people to give to us what only God can give to us. And the way that he calls that, he says in verse 4, and again, this is where he starts to get real. He's like, you adulterous people. 
Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, meaning like the sinful world, becomes an enemy of God. He's like, you, you said that you've pledged your life to love Jesus and love him only. I have been, this song has been on repeat um, for the last couple of days. It's by Starfield. It's called Absolutely Jesus. You have me complete, Jesus. You have me completely every breath that I breathe. Just basically like, I, I'm all, I'm, I belong to you. That's been my, my song this like, past couple of days. Just, God, I want to be completely yours. But at the same time, if I'm having conflict with people in my life, then God is saying, you may think you are in love with me with everything, but are you really if there's conflict in your life? There's something that I want more than I want Jesus, something I want more than God, and that leads to conflict. And what James says is, you're committing spiritual adultery. You say that you're devoted to God. You've covenanted, you've got the ring to show it through the waters of baptism. You're devoted to God, but you're living in an open marriage. Then God is my love, absolutely my devotion, but then I'm finding myself committing, committing adultery with other things in this life. And God is saying through the half-brother of his son, Jesus, the reason you've got conflict in your life is because you want something, you love something, you desire something, you demand something more than you want me. According to James, that's what he's saying is the cause of conflict in our lives. What is it that you want? Again, these idols, a lot of times they like to hide. It's not just I want cars or I want money or I want that relationship. There's something we want more than that. Beneath the idol, there's another idol. So I want status. I want people to see me. It's not just the shoes that I want. I want people to think that I've made it. It's not just a car that I drive. I want, I want to have more than my younger brother because everyone told me that my younger brother was the better one. I want to have more than them. I want reputation. I want success. I want to be known as somebody. I want, to have, I want pleasure. I want security. What are the things that cause you to constantly fight with people over? Something that we want more than God. It's the first thing that we see. Surprising, perhaps, but there's a surprising remedy also. Conflict with others is, finds healing. It begins to find healing when you return to God with all of your heart. When you come back to God with all of your heart, James says, the healing of your conflicts can begin to take place. Again, it takes two people to do that. Right? But the starting place of that is not like they got to do something. They got to make the first move. They need to do this. He's saying it, it, it starts here. You've got to come back to a right place with God. Get your buttons straight in order that the rest of the shirt will fit. That's what he says. And he, he, he gives some, some, some thoughts here, um, starting in verse 5. The motivation here. Do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? Literally what he's saying is God's spirit is jealous for your heart. In the way that a jilted lover or a scorned lover is jealous for the one who pledged their devotion to him or her, longs for the heart of the one who has abandoned them. God is saying, so the Spirit of God longs 
for your heart and my heart that is given to an adulterous relationship. The audacity and the baseness of it is that we have left the most perfect love in order to dine with a worthless mistress. Idols that do not satisfy us, that promise us so much, but don't give us anything. You ever gone out with someone who said, you know what, I've got a great job, I've got a lot of money, I'm going to buy you everything, and then they stuck you with the bill at the end? I forgot my wallet. You don't got Apple Pay or anything? I forgot my phone. Ain't no, got no credit card on you? Yeah, I don't really deal with plastic. They promise you a lot, but at the end, you're the one left with the bill. It says, you adulterous people, friendship with the world, is hatred toward God, and we have committed spiritual adultery against God with worthless idols. And God says the way back is to remember how I love you, how much I love you. It's not his anger that brings us back to him. It's not his fury, his wrath or judgment that brings us back to him. It's his kindness. It's his love. It's his grace that brings us back. And he says, if you come back to grace, he says in verse 6, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you know what grace is? It's God not giving us what we deserve, but God giving us what we need. God says, you, you think you need this comfort, approval, security, status, whatever it is, but what you really need is me. You think you need it in that person, that place, that thing, but what you really need is me. And if you come to me, I would give you all of those things. If you would come back to me, I would give you in my grace all it is that you need. It says, God opposes the proud. See, sometimes, isn't it, isn't it pride that keeps us in conflict with people? Like, I ain't going to, shoot, I ain't going to tell them I'm sorry. They was the one who did wrong. I'm not going to make the first move. They're more responsible than I am. You know, the Bible doesn't say who's more responsible. It says you do your part. You're giving your gift at the altar. You remember, somebody's got, you got something against somebody else. Or if you've wronged somebody else. He doesn't say who needs to take responsibility, the one who did more, the one who did less. No, he says who needs to take responsibility? You. You do. But in our pride, we don't want to do that. How many relational conflicts do we have with our parents, with our spouse, with our mother-in-law, with our children, with our friends that come because of our pride? I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. If we're prideful, you know what God says? I oppose the proud. There are a lot of people that you may not want to be in conflict with, that you're okay being in conflict with, but you don't want to be opposed by God. You know, there's certain people that you don't want to be opposed by in different areas of life. If, if we had a three-point shooting contest, I wouldn't want to be opposed by Stephen Curry. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be opposed by Daniel Park and Geotastic, whatever that means. I don't want to be opposed by God because I will never win that battle. I'll never win that battle. God opposes the proud. But to the humble, he gives grace. He gives us what we need. Anyone need, in need of grace today? Anyone in need of grace for a relationship, for a conflict that you just can't overcome? We humble ourselves, he gives us grace. We're all good today, but as soon as we leave here, the fight that we had on the way to church, 
is going to come back up. We need the grace of God. Will we humble ourselves? He goes on, though. He says, submit yourselves then to God. That means put yourself underneath God. Again, it's like when we read the Word of God, we read it this way. Like, I'm standing under God, and, and, and whatever God says, I'm going to do. Submit means, God, I'm, I'm, I'm devoted to you. How many relational conflicts would have been resolved by now if we had submitted ourselves to God's Word and did what He said? And we actually forgave them like we know we ought to do. We actually prayed for them like we know we ought to do. We actually reached out to them and made that first move like we know we ought to do. Yeah, but they're the ones who are so stubborn. If we call ourselves Christian and we say we're a mature Christian, we got to make the first move. That's on us. Like we can't live in cool and callous and calm indifference to that relational conflict in our lives if we really know the love of the cross. One of my, past, uh, one of my pastor friends, um, we were just talking about a relationship, relationships, and, and he says one of the things he tells to, uh, to ladies in his church who are single and they want to date someone, ask them you know, a bunch of questions like, are they Christian? They, they love Jesus, things like that. But one of the things he says is, I would not let any of my people date a guy who is not a member of a church, not going to church, not attending church, not serving church, but a member of a church. Because membership means I'm submitted to the leadership and the government and the discipline of the church. And if I go astray, there's accountability, and they're going to call me out on that. If they're not living in submission to a spiritual authority, then I, I wouldn't allow a person that I care for to be in relationship with them. That's what he said. Practical powerful. Are you willing to submit yourself to God and to spiritual leadership? It says, submit yourselves to God, and then it says, resist the devil. Okay, a lot of us, okay, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, it's a command and a promise. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Literally, resist the devil means stand and fight the devil, and he will flee from you. Some of us try to resist God and his conviction, thinking that God is going to flee from us. He says, don't, don't resist God, resist the devil. Stand and fight the devil, and he'll flee from you. You know the devil's going to show up to try and divide your marriage, divide your family, right? The, the two institutions that God gave, three institutions that God gave, okay, in order to show his love, number one, marriage, number two, family, number three, the church. How Satan interferes with all three of these and tries to destroy all three of these relationships that show forth the beauty of the love of God. He says, stand and fight against the work of the enemy. Don't just lay down and submit to the schemes of the enemy. Stand up and fight. What does that look like? Well, the other day, uh, yesterday, yesterday, I was uh, doing devotionals with my, with my kids, and we're reading through, and then at the end of it, I'm uh, just trying to apply this in our lives. When we fight as a family, okay, when brother and sister fight, who do you think is sad, and who do you think is happy? Uh, God is sad, and the devil is happy. Very good. Why don't we try to live so that God is happy and the devil is sad? Not so that the devil is happy and God is sad. That's a great idea. Let's try to do that. And then I taught them a song. Here's a little song that I learned when I was little. I taught them this song. It says, if I had a little white box, I'd put Jesus in, take him out, kiss his face, put him back again. Does anyone know this song? Okay. Second verse. If I had a little black box, I'd put Satan in, take him out, beat his face, put him back again. 
It's not the most theologically astute, but it's basically saying, I want to kick Satan's butt, and he wants to kick mine. I'm not going to let him do it, so I'd rather fight him. So I'm telling this to my kids, and of course, the one who loves it the most is Elise. She's like, kick his butt, punch his face. He wants to destroy Satan. We want to destroy Satan. Stand up and fight. Fight the devil. Don't fight your spouse. Don't fight your mom. Don't fight your dad. Don't fight your brother or sister. Fight Satan. Because he wants to divide those relationships and to keep you trapped in idolatry and spiritual adultery. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then it says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Okay, this is the heartbeat of it all. Come near to God. How do the other relationships in your life find healing in their conflicts when you come near to God? Come near to God. He's not, just ta- he's not talking about location. He's talking about intimacy. Not talking about proximity, right? We're all here, but I know, like I'm not dumb, we're all here, but I know not all of us are here. <laughs> Some of us are already at lunch. You're here, but you're somewhere else. My professor told me, I love this. He said, youth students, they don't act like they're paying attention because they think it's cool not to, but really they are. Some of you who are paying attention and look like it are really paying attention. This is better. We have a great youth ministry, that's why. Adults act like they're paying attention, but they ain't really paying attention. You understand that, right? You hear, you're like nodding, but you're like, yeah, Chipotle. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you're not supposed to be nodding during this part. That's not a part to be nodding at. Amen. No, no, it's not the right time. Draw near to God, not in proximity or location, intimacy. Is your heart drawing near to God? When we worship God together in this way, are you drawing near to God? Are you experiencing the sweetness of his voice? Is the name of Jesus beautiful to you? you love Jesus? Because if you draw near to him, God says, I'm going to draw near to you. How do we do that? Gets a little bit dark here. He says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. And then he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So in other words, your hands are your actions. Your heart is your thoughts and desires and motivation. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Hold on. I thought... I thought we were supposed to laugh. I thought we were supposed to have joy. It's like, yeah, you should, but not if you're committing adultery, not if you're in idolatry, not if you're in conflict with other people. He's saying, we take sin a little bit too lightly. When's the last time we wailed and mourned and grieved over our sin? Not because of simply a broken relationship on earth, but because we've broken fellowship with God. Have you become comfortable with a little bit of sin in my life or a lot of sin in my life? Have you become comfortable with unconfessed sin in your life? To such people, he says, we need to fall on, our, on the ground and realize that this is ruining our relationships with people. I, I saw this video. This is fascinating. It, it's just been like really, I mean, it's, it's messy. It's messing with my mind. It's messing with a lot of things. But in this video... This guy wanted to do an experiment, like thinking about like his summers as a kid in the swimming pool. You think of, I want you to imagine this scene, like you are going to the swimming pool, you've got your, you got your towel on you, you got your goggles if you need that, you got your floaties if you need that, you got your sunblock, 
and uh, you go through the locker room, you shower, whatever it is, and then you walk into the pool, and then what are the sights and the sounds and the images that come to your mind as you walk into that pool area? Your water splashing around, maybe the sound of a diving board, but the smell of the swimming pool, right? Brings back this nostalgia to when we were children. Some of us are still young, but not all of, not all, yeah, anyways. So it brings back these thoughts of the swimming pool and you, you begin to, to smell that, those just those sweet sounds of, of chlorine, right, Suji says. This guy did this, this experiment. Two five-gallon buckets of water, filled them up with water, and then he put chlorine in there. The amount of chlorine you're supposed to put into a swimming pool? No, four times the amount. Okay, four times the recommended concentration. Poured that chlorine in there, mixed it up, let it sit for a few days. Mixed another one up, let it sit for a few days. But this one, he put a little bit of pee in there, urine. Just a little bit. Poured it in there. Mixed it up, set these both aside for a few days, and came back. Opened up the one that had just water and chlorine in there, and he smelled it. He smelled it, and he smelled it again. You can find this on YouTube. You can find it in many different places. He smelled it. He didn't smell anything. It smells like water, the way that chlorine is supposed to smell. Did you know that chlorine is odorless and scentless? It smells like nothing. Then he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm kind of scared to smell the other one. Chlorine and water, there's a little bit of pee in there. Smelled it. Smelled it again. He's like, Oh my gosh, this takes me back to my childhood. The smell of chlorine was not actually the smell of chlorine. It was the smell of pee mixing in with chlorine, the kind of pee water that we swim in and open our mouths and gargle it in our mouth and spit it out at our friends. Chlorine water, so clean, so pure, it smells so good, is actually pee water. And we've become so used to it and so comfortable with it that we're loving it all over our bodies. I don't need to take a shower. I just went to the swimming pool. It's got chlorine in it. If it smelled, it's got pee in it too. But sometimes we're swimming around and extremely comfortable swimming in stuff that if we knew what was in there, we would mourn and grieve and wail and wash our hands and purify ourselves because we don't want that stuff to be part of us. In a spiritual sense, James is saying, we have done the same thing. We've been swimming in our sin, gargling it, spitting it out on other people, having the time of our lives, laughing and joyfully experiencing the summers of sin without second thought to the fact that we are committing adultery against our God. Have you become comfortable with sin in your life? Just a little bit of lust, just a little bit of cheating, a little bit of pride, a little bit of conflict that I don't want to forgive. To people like that, James says, grieve. Mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Otherwise, there will constantly be conflict in our lives with God who opposes the proud, with other people as well. He says, come back, and the promise is, if you humble yourselves before the Lord, 
that he will lift you up. That he will lift us up. That he will leave us in that place. He'll draw near to us and, and he'll lift us. Because when we had committed adultery against God, when we didn't want him, we didn't care for him, we didn't love him, we didn't give a second thought to the fact that we're hurting him, God did the unthinkable. He said, I'm going I'm to propose to these broken people. What's going to be your sign? It's not a diamond ring. I'm going to give my son. I'm going to give the most precious treasure that I've got. Everything that I've got, I'm going to give. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to come into the world in order to reconcile with a sinful, broken, prideful people. When Jesus came into this world, what did he do? Jesus submitted himself to God. He resisted the devil who fled from him until an opportune time. Jesus came near to God who came near to him. Every morning he washed his hands, sinners purified his heart, though he was not a sinner nor double-minded. He grieved and he mourned and he wailed, not for his own, but for your sins and for mine. And the one who knew only laughter in glory, only joy in glory, became known as the man of sorrows, familiar with grief, so that he could take the place of sinful humanity. That Jesus came and took the punishment that we deserved on the cross in order that we might have the love relationship with God that only the perfect one could have. Because if you come to him, see that love, see that grace, see how he loves you. That even though you had done everything wrong to him, he came near to you, not I'll come 50%, you come. He came all the way, and all we need to do is open up our hearts to that grace. He says, when you do that, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He did that. God did that for his son. He'll do that for us if we come back to him. Let's return to him. His grace is here for us. Let's pray together. Is there conflict in your life, my brother and sister? What are the areas of our lives? Who are the relationships? What relationships in our life have been hurt and broken by our sin? It starts with God. I'm sorry, Lord. My sinfulness has caused me to be broken. I don't have anything but broken relationships to bring to you. I don't have much good. But I come because your cross has placed in me my worth. Thank you that Jesus sympathizes with us. He understands us. We come because of grace, because of mercy. That we can come though we're sinful. He washes us, cleans us, makes us whole and makes us new so that we can stand before him unashamed. Let's come before our God. Lord, I need you and I want you. I want to draw near to you, not in the outside, but from the heart. Can we come back to Jesus today? Grieve more and wail if we need to. We've been callous and lax and laughing a lot, but we haven't. There's no, there's no joy without mourning. Okay? There's no revival without a funeral. We die in order to laugh. We surrender in order to live. And it's through mourning that we find joy. 
Let's come before the Lord and just spend a few moments in prayer in that way before I pray for us. And we'll respond with one song in closing. Let's pray honestly, sincerely. Now let's come back to God. Not just in action, but intimacy. Let's pray for a couple moments. Let's pray together like this. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. God, I don't understand this kind of grace you give to me. So many times I run from you. So many times I bow down to worship idols. So many lesser loves that I have been faithful to or had dalliances with instead of being wholeheartedly devoted to you. Father, I'm sorry. And all of us who feel like me are sorry. We ask that you would have mercy on us, that we would sin against a God so loving, beautiful, great, and amazing, and to cheat on you with worthless idols and with toothless mistresses that will never satisfy us. Father, have mercy on us and cleanse us. Thank you that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance as we come back to you. Thank you that still in our brokenness, and still in our waywardness, still as we come to you, we can find ourselves mended and whole, healed, renewed, restored, complete at your feet. And so this is where we go. This is where we come. We thank you so much. We love you. We want to love you more. And all this because you've loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray.